So good to be with you folks. Welcome to church. Let me add my welcome to everyone else's welcome. If you're visiting with us, my name's Pete, pastor here at Destiny. And uh, in a moment or two, I'm going to be taking us on a journey, just looking at some amazing parts of the Bible that I really believe God is going to speak to you through this. Um, Let's pray and ask God to, to move among us. Father, thank you so much for your presence with us right now. Thank you for your love for each person. And thank you for the plans that you have for us. We're not an accident. We're designed by God. We're plans from eternity past. And you have given us a destiny. I pray just now, God, as I speak and unpack some things you've placed in my heart, I ask that you would speak into people's lives and situations. Maybe people today don't yet know you. I pray you would reveal yourself. Open their eyes, let them see you with their eyes of their heart. I pray, come and move among us, God. Teach us your ways, help us to grow. Thank you for your presence. During the worship, I just, uh, there was three things that God spoke into my heart. He said that there's, first of all, I saw a picture of a string and I felt God was saying that there's someone here, it's like a string down through the generations. There's someone here that you have, uh, you're, your, I think it's your mother and your grandmother before you had a particular situation and in, to do with their health. And this is a, something that's rearing its head in your life now and you're concerned that you have inherited something down through a generational physical weakness. And God wants to cut that string today and bring healing. I also heard God say that there's someone here with a de- degenerative eye disease that God wants to heal. I also heard him say that there's someone here and you're, um, you need to just hear that God loves you. You've, you've been, you've, and you know it's you because actually you've been reacting angrily in many situations in many ways. But the reason you're angry is because you have not experienced the true love that God has for you. And his love will cause the anger to subside. And that's the reason you're angry. It's because you don't understand God's love. And God wants you to know today I love you. So God, in each of those situations, do your mighty healing work. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You're well able to deal with every predicament we find ourselves in as human beings. Move among us in Jesus' name. Amen. We we love giving time at the end to praying for people who are sick. If you're sick here today, we'd love to lay hands on you. At the end, there'll be leaders down the front able to pray with you and ask that God will turn things around in your lives. Um, it's been a, I mean, if you've watched the news this week, it's been pretty tough going, watching some of the, the, the unfolding events in Manchester. Just heartbreaking to see someone causing such devastation, especially among the young in our society. And the insecurity that brings, and not just those who actually lost their lives, but those who were there, how it shook them up and how it impacted them so terribly. And you know, it made me think about conviction. There's a person who obviously has great convictions and their convictions led them to do something that caused devastation to so many people's lives. So convictions pointed in the wrong direction can cause devastation. But also conviction pointed in the right direction can bring even more blessing. You know, let, let, devastation can be caused by someone with wrong convictions, but life and healing and transformation can happen with people with the right conviction, giving themselves wholeheartedly to their convictions. And so it made me wonder, well, what is it that motivates you? What, is, what, is, what convictions are in your soul and what will that effect be in this world? Uh, there was an article I came across by a, an author and a, a life coach from, from New York City and And she describes the six motivators that human beings have, six things that motivate people to do what they do. She she lists them as follows, rewards, incentives. So people, you know, you want to get a specific accolade or award or reward, and therefore you do things. Second one is the fear of consequence. You know, you don't want certain things to happen, so you do other things. The third motivator she lists is achievement. You know, I want to achieve a certain milestone or a certain status, and therefore you do things. The fourth one is growth. 
I want to feel like I'm continually improving, progressing. Therefore, I give myself to do things. The first one she mentions is power. I want to feel strong and powerful, and therefore, I do things. And then the sixth one, social factors. She, she, wants, she said that people want to have a sense of belonging and appreciation of others, and therefore, people do things. So what is it that motivates what you do? Jesus, in John 14, that's where we're going to be today, gives us, I believe, the greatest motivator that anyone can have. Something that will motivate you to live at a higher plane than, than the world around us and will actually bring such positive impact in the lives of people. So John 14, Jesus, it's just one verse and I want to camp in that verse. John 14, verse 15, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Say that with me. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, religion, we're not into religion, we're into Jesus. It's very, very different. He's very different from religiousness. Religion actually has different motivators. Religion, you see fear being a motivator in religion. People are, are scared of God. Or are, and, I don't, and I'm not talking about a wholesome fear of God, like a deep respect. I don't, I don't mean that. I'm talking about being petrified. I'm talking about fear of God in the wrong way. So they fear being punished, or they fear certain things, or they fear God's displeasure. Your religion also monopolizes on the sense of, you know, you do certain things, you want rewards, so you do certain things. In order to get rewards, you do. And that's how religion operates, through reward and through fear. But Jesus here gives us an entirely different focus, an entirely different motivation, and his motivation he gives us is love. Christianity doesn't say what religion says. Christianity says, first of all, you're loved. Secondly, in response to being loved, you love. Thirdly, in response to your love, you do. And it's a totally different thing. See, what comes first, your obedience or your loving? Loving. That's what it says in the verses. If you love me, you will do what I have said. You will obey my commands. This is the first, first it's love, then obedience. And then what comes first, his love or your love? His love. So that's the journey we're going to go on. We're going to start by looking at his love, then our love, then our obedience. That's where we're going to go today. So first of all, his love. It starts by focusing on the love of God. You know, this, this week, one of the things I love doing, it's a daily highlight for me, is a little bit upstream on the, the River Leith. I, that's where I live. And I love in the mornings, just getting out by the river and walking and praying. And I talk to God, I pray, I call on him, I pour out my heart before him, I love it. And I worship him. And this week, I, just, I was down by the river, I was just contemplating the magnificence of God, the amazingness of creation. And then my, heart, my head's in my heart started thinking about the, the scale of everything, the universe, the galaxies, the solar systems, the vastness of it all. And when you consider the vastness of it all, and then there's this tiny speck, but it's an abundant speck called planet Earth, you suddenly feel pretty small. But then you suddenly feel incredibly special. Because not only are you tiny and seemingly insignificant in the scale of the universe, but the revelation of the Bible is this, that yes, God who is greater than all, the universe cannot even contain him takes a personal interest not just in this tiny abundant speck that he has created with abundance and perfect to sustain life but he's interested not just in animals and furry creatures and trees and plants but he's interested in specifically human beings created in the image of God I suddenly thought back to that Sam David speaks Sam Psalm 8, verse 3 onwards, he says, when I consider the heavens, the works of your hands, the sun and the moon and the stars, what is mankind that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you take notice of him? And yet, you have made him a little lower than the angels and you've crowned him with glory and honor and you made him ruler over the works of your hands. Suddenly, I was just, I was just blown away afresh just as I was down by the river thinking about, yeah, everything's huge. God is massive. But God is deeply interested in human beings. Yes, it's huge and you feel daunted at the scale of it all and you feel like nothing compared to the scale of it. But when you suddenly realize that the God who the, the, this universe cannot even contain takes a personal interest in you. 
then you feel incredibly special. David had those thoughts and he recorded them in the, in the Psalms. But David hadn't seen anything yet. Just a few hundred years after David's, that great Israelite king, Jesus Christ was born. And, a, and an understanding of the love of God dawned on humanity that had never been understood before. Yes, you're special. We knew that. That's amazing. But you, to the degree to which God treats you as special, we hadn't grasped that until Jesus Christ came along. And an understanding of love and value came that you had never understood or dared hope for. It's experienced in Jesus Christ. You see, we're basing our talks in these, these Sunday mornings on the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is one of four Gospels. The four Gospels, if you took all the chapters of those Gospels and added them together, there are 89 chapters. Now, the birth of Jesus and his life up until 12 years old takes up, of all the Gospels, only four chapters. 85 chapters focus on the last three years of Jesus' life. 85 of the 89 chapters. And 27 of the 89 chapters focus on the last eight days of Jesus' life before the crucifixion. So why would it all suddenly come into sharp focus that just everything would hang on those eight days of this significant human being, Jesus Christ? And the reason is because actually in the center of the earth, an event took place for all the earth. In the center of history, an event took place for all people, for all time. And that event was that God took on human flesh. He walked in this world, he lived an amazing life, but ultimately he died a sacrificial death. Not as a martyr, but as a sacrifice. He gave himself up for you and for me because he loved you. And this is the amazing news of God's love. And he rose again. That's what we believe. First Peter, the, the apostle Peter describes this love and he says, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life that was handed down from you, to you from your ancestors. In other words, we have this fallen human nature. We were in a bad predicament outside of God. We were lost and you were redeemed from that, but it wasn't with perishable things like silver and gold. You, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, that you were redeemed from your fallenness, not by silver and gold, but by the precious blood of Jesus, who's described as a lamb. Why? Well, because he was the sacrifice for us. Amazing, precious blood was shed so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be restored, so you could be saved. This is a love like no other. You see, love or value is determined by sacrifice. If you're selling something and you think it's worth something, but I'm not willing to pay a thing, then actually it's worth nothing. Something is, its value is determined by what someone is willing to pay for it. And here in the verses here it says, you were redeemed. Now that's become quite a religious word, but actually before it was ever used in the context of, of our understanding of God, it was actually a financial word. It was, it was describing transactions. And if you had a, like say you were a bit stuck for cash and you needed some cash and you took a watch or a bit of jewelry down to a pawn shop and you handed it in and they gave you money for that, they would give you what they thought was the right value for that item and you would have money instead of the item. Now, if you ever wanted to get that item back, you would you'd have a set period of time in which you could go and you could pay them and you could redeem, buy back the item. Human beings, because of sin, we sold ourselves into sin and slavery. We were enslaved to a nature that was not how we were created to live. And God in his love, Jesus, I guess he went down to the pawn shop. And, and he paid a price, but the price he paid wasn't a financial price. Because you can clear physical debt with cash. But you can't clear moral debt with cash. You can only clear moral debt with blood. It says in Leviticus that the life is in the bloods. 
And therefore, in order to redeem a life, blood needs to be shed. Life for life. You want to be rescued, then there needs to be blood shed, not just money spent. You can clear physical debt with cash, but you cannot clear moral debt with cash. You need to clear moral debt with blood. And that's why, and it wasn't just any bloods, it says it was the blood of Jesus Christ. Whose blood is this? It says in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, the apostle Paul speaking to some church leaders and he says this, be on guard for yourselves and for the, all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseer. So he's talking to these leaders and saying, you need to look out for the church, look out for God's people, the flock. And the Holy Spirit has made you overseers of this flock. But then look at what he says next. He says, whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And again, we've made this point several times and we will keep making these points for the years to come that Jesus wasn't just a man. Look at the verse. He purchased with his own blood. Shepherd the the flock of God, the church of God. Whose church? It's God's church. And he purchased that with his own blood. Whose blood? God's blood. You see that? Jesus isn't just a man. He's not just an incarnation of God. He is, he is God himself. He's not just one of many incarnations of God. He is God in the flesh. No other human being can claim that. Only one person was fully God and fully man, and that's Jesus Christ. And when Jesus died, God died. When Jesus shed his blood, God shed his blood. That's the amazing thing, that the universe was created by the greatest being ever. He, he, with great delight, created the universe and set everything in motion and then created this jewel in the middle of it, this shining, bright, abundant place called planet Earth. And on, as a pinnacle of all his creation, he created human beings created in the very image of God. You're not some monkey who got lucky. You are created in the image of God. You're incredibly special. But not only did he create with great intrinsic value, God went on when he knew that we'd blown it and sold ourselves into sinful slavery and we were not how God created us to be. We were in sin. God in his love came into this world, took on flesh, died in our place, redeemed us by his own blood. You're incredibly loved. You're more loved than you ever imagined. This is great news. So Jesus paid the price and Jesus is God. This is God's blood was shed for you. You see, you're not important because you have a degree. You're not important because you drive a fancy car. You're not important because you have a big paycheck. And you're not unimportant because you failed. You're not unimportant because you've made many mistakes you regret. You're not unimportant because you've got a criminal record and you're not unimportant because of the terrible things or the addictions or whatever, because you're unqualified. You're not unimportant. You see, your worth is determined by what someone would pay for you and God's shed his blood for you. And therefore, how can you question your value when God determined your value by deciding this is how much he would spend for you? You're incredibly valued. I have a wedding ring on here. If I was to go to the pawn shop, I could hand over the ring. And the pawn, I wouldn't do that, just to be clear. (laughs) Even if I needed cash, I wouldn't do that. And the pawn shop would determine a value. But the value that is determined on this ring would be nothing compared to what it means to me. Because you can, have some, you can have the physical worth of something based on market value, but then you also have what it actually means to me. And that's an entirely different equation. So you may think, you know what? I'm pretty messed up. But listen, your value is not determined on how you evaluate yourself. Your value is not determined on how others have evaluated you Your value is determined by the value that God placed on you when he decided to pay the ultimate price for you. Hey now, listen, I've done pretty horrible things. Mark, our youth pastor, sent me a text message last night 
and he said, Peter, would you mind telling me something really bad you did when you were younger? And I actually didn't ask him why. He just asked. I'm presuming it's something to do with the talk he's giving to the youth today. So you, anyway, you can ask the youth. I don't know what, what they're talking about today. So I, I had a dilemma because I didn't know which one to tell him. I, I had a whole calendar. And so I, I sent a text message back and I told him about the time when I was on the school bus. We were fooling around with matches and I actually set a girl's skirt on fire. And her dad was the head of the police for that area. <laughs> and I got into so much trouble. So much trouble with the head teacher and I was kicked off the bus. And I'm your pastor, welcome to church. <laughs> you know what? How many of you have actually shared all your testimony? I mean, there's some bits of your testimony, some bits of my testimony I wouldn't even share. Like, I wouldn't tell you about the time when I, I was on the school bus and I set a girl's skirt in fact, I wouldn't tell you that. But there's some bits of my testimony I wouldn't tell you. Because, and, and how many people have shared, honestly, how many people haven't shared all their testimony? Seriously? There's bits you wouldn't share. Because you know if, if, if people knew, man, if people knew everything, if people knew everything about me, then they would say, why would God give anything for that person? <laughs> but you need to understand he did. And the reason I worship, the reason I worship is because I realized he paid more for me than I think I was worth. It wasn't just to do with market value or what anyone said about me or what I determined about myself, but God placed a value in me that was way higher than I would have placed on me. And God placed a value in you that is way higher than anyone else has placed on you, including yourself. God placed a value in you which is actually of infinite worth because you cannot place a value on the blood of Jesus Christ. You have absolutely no idea how incredibly special you are to God. You have no idea the extent. And I, I, know, I know we can talk about it. I know we can read about it. I know I can describe it to you. But really the penny hasn't fully dropped because it's so big. It's so beyond our comprehension, the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. It's incredible. And that is, it's directed towards you. And it's awesome. This is how God loves us. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. For God's greatest reality, God, so to the greatest degree loved the greatest affection, the world's the object of his love that he gave. This was the greatest act. His one and only son. His greatest delight. So that whoever believes, this is the greatest trust in him. He's the object of our faith. Shall not perish. That's the greatest deliverance. But will have, have, this is the greatest assurance, everlasting life. This is the greatest blessing. And it all comes to you at God's expense. You don't have to like me. God likes me. In fact, God loves me. So actually, you don't have to like me. I'm no longer dependent on what anyone else thinks of me. And you're no longer dependent on what anyone else thinks of you. Because a value was attributed to you by God himself. And that value is incredibly high. It's the very precious blood of Jesus himself. Thank you so much, Jesus Christ. So, his love. And what comes first, his love or our love? His love. He took the initiative. He, he took the initiative. It's not like, see, religion's about us trying to get to God. Christianity's entirely different. God came to us. He took the initiative. Salvation is God's work, start to finish. Miracles are God's work, start to finish. Building church is God's work, start to finish. All his work, we just get to believe him and go with him on the journey. So he loved us, then we love him, our love. Let's go back to the verse. It says, oh, by the way, I'm not assuming that everyone here yet has experienced that love. It might be, I've described it to you. And maybe you're hearing this, I don't know whether it's the first time, 
But maybe you've never had an experience of Jesus Christ in your life. He's here right now. And he doesn't just want to be a nice thought to you. He wants to be your savior. So today, if Jesus isn't yet your savior, today in this room, you can make a decision to trust him and he will come and take up residence in your life and you will be changed forever. I will give you that opportunity at the end. So his love, our love. It says in John chapter 14, verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You know, at the end of Jesus' point on the cross, just as he was on the cross, as he was there, and the Bible says there was around the cross, there was different people. There was the Roman soldiers who were still mocking him. There was the Pharisees. But there was Jesus' mother. I cannot, cannot imagine a more painful moment for any mother than to see her own child being crucified. But there also at the cross, while all the other disciples had abandoned him in that moment, one hadn't, and, and the one who hadn't was John, who's actually the author of this gospel that we're reading, John's gospel. And all the way through John's gospel, John refers to himself as the disciple who Jesus loved. The disciple who Jesus loved. And the Bible records that as Jesus is on the cross and he sees his mother there, he said he obviously wanted to cater for his mother. He was going to die, but he was going to rise. Then he was going to ascend. So he was not going to be around anymore. And so he wanted to make sure that his mother was cared for. And he said, and he said to his, her, his disciple, John, Behold your mother, and he said to his mother, Behold your son. And from that point forward, it says that John looked after Mary as if she was his own mother. Now, why would Jesus entrust Mary to John? Why not one of the other disciples? And I think it's everything to do with this. John, all the way through the gospel, says, the disciple, he calls himself the disciple who Jesus loved. Now, I don't think it was because, Jesus, I love you, but I not love you. Or I love you a bit more than you guys over there. But this is my favorite. I don't think Jesus was doing that. I don't think it was that Jesus loved John any more than anyone else. I think it's that John understood that he was loved more than anyone else. And that he couldn't bring himself to identify himself as John. He didn't call himself John any time in his gospel. He couldn't take any credit for anything. He just simply said, I'm the one who Jesus loves. Oh, and he, why did he write? Why did he constantly refer to himself as the one who Jesus loved? Because he was blown away that Jesus would love me, that he would place that value on me. I'm loved. And that defined everything for John. And so Jesus entrusts his mother to someone, and that someone happened to be someone who had a revelation that they were loved. And when you understand you're loved, you're safe hands. Jesus can entrust his mother. To someone like that. And look at what John says. It, later on in John's life, he wrote the epistle of John. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. We love because he first loved us. The reason we love is because we've been blown away by his love. That's why Jesus could figure, do you know what? You have got it, John. You understood my love for you. And therefore, I know you're going to be generous and give love away. Because you can't give what you ain't got. You can't give away something. You, if you're living on empty, you have, you've got nothing to give. But if you're living full, full and understanding of the love of God and transformed by that self-same love, then all of a sudden, you are empowered to give away that love to other people. All of a sudden, you can love in a, a level and in a way that others can't. Because you know what it is to be loved. And John was able to do that. There was a a young sociology professor at John Hopkins University in Baltimore in America. And um, years ago, he did uh, an assignment where he got his class to go and interview 200 inner city youth. And these were kids growing up in some of the toughest kind of ghettos in inner city Baltimore. And they did this interview and they, basically they wanted to get to know the kids. And at the end of the research, the students had to place a prediction on the future of those kids. And the students decided, and one of the predictions was that most of these kids within 25 years would have spent time in prison. They, they estimated that 90% of those 200 kids would have spent some time in prison because of the environment they were growing up in. Anyway, 25 years later, the same professor, now an older person, 
got another group of students to go back and try and track down as many of the 200 kids as possible to find out actually how they turned out. And they weren't able to get everyone, but of the 200 kids, they managed to track down 180 of those kids. And it's, what was amazing was only four of them had ever been in jail. So the predictions from the previous generations was completely off. And as they started interviewing the kids, why is it that you didn't end up going off track in life? A hundred of those 180 kids they tracked down pointed to all of them mentioned her. All of them mentioned her. There was one teacher at school. Uh, uh, what was her name? Sheila O'Rourke. A teacher called Sheila O'Rourke. She's, she was the one that so influenced these kids' lives. So the researchers then went and found and, and kind of tracked down Sheila, Sheila O'Rourke. And by this point, she was 75 years old. She was in a Memphis nursing home. And they had an interview with Sheila O'Rourke. And they asked her, what was it? Did you know that you had such a positive effect on all these young people in that inner city area? And she said, and her quote very simply was, all I ever did was love each of them. You see, love has the power to transform people and change people and change destinies. And when you understand you're loved by God, all of a sudden you start having this reciprocating love. It empowers you to be all that God intended you to be in the first place. And you know, even, even the commands, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. Even the commands of Jesus, if you look at the commands of Jesus in John's gospel, you know what the commands, hey, let me give you a list of some of the commands of Jesus in John's gospel. John 1.12, receive me. John 1.43, follow me. John 12.36, believe in the light. John 14 verse 1, believe me. John 15 verse 4, abide in me. 15 verse 7, ask whatever you wish. 15 verse 9, abide in my love. 20 verse 22, receive the Holy Spirit. It's not like kind of do this and do that and do this. It's a lot about receive this. Be blessed by my love. Believe me for great things. It's not emphasizing what you can do for him, but rather what he wants to do for you if you allow him. This is incredible. Even the work of God for you even God's, your work for him is to believe him to do the work for you. It's incredible. Uh, last week, I was uh, not here. I was in Newcastle. I was preaching at our church down there. It's one of the churches that I oversee. And I was speaking at their, they have three locations, and I was speaking at the three locations. Wonderful church. Uh, really working with many of the uh, deprived people in the city who are struggling through life. And many of them come from different backgrounds. And it's just wonderful to see what God is doing through that church in, in Newcastle. And God, during the worship, just like he did here, he gave me a couple of words of knowledge. One of them was, there's someone here that during the worship time, you were unable to even concentrate on worship because of what happened through the week. And because of what happened through the week, you were in a dark place and you couldn't even connect with God. And so I shared that. And then I said, and there's, there's also a situation here where there's someone, and I knew it was one of their legs, that there's damage in one of your legs so much so uh, it's, it's, it's terrible damage but the damage isn't caused by an accident or it isn't caused by use like it's not like arthritis or something I just felt that it was something to do with an infection so I, I shared that anyway at the end of the service this guy comes forward utterly shaken up and he said to the pastor Tim Brown did you tell him and he said no I didn't tell and he said last week I was diagnosed by my doctor and I was, I was told by my doctor that I was going to have to have my leg amputated. And it, it shook me. I couldn't concentrate on God all through the worship. I was, I was trying to get my composure and I guess on the outside he looked like he was worshipping but he was not there. He was just in another place. He, he was utterly devastated by this news. And he said and it's because there's an infection set, set into my leg. So he was blown away that God had seen that and identified that. So we were able to pray with him and he felt an instant change of symptoms. So I thank God for that. Amazing. But isn't, isn't it amazing that, isn't it amazing that what God does is the situation changed instantly when he suddenly understood that, because he had thought God would abandon him. He had thought that God was nowhere to be seen. But all of a sudden he realized, God, you're interested in me. Then all of a sudden his heart was wide open for God to do a miracle in his life. So his love for you your love for him and then it ends with your obedience our obedience it, Jesus said let's read it again John 14 verse 15 1 2 3 if you love me you will keep my commands 
It's there. Why did no one read? Let's, let's do it again. Okay, one, two, three. If you love me, you will keep my commands. See, religion starts with behavior. Jesus starts with the heart. He, talks, he doesn't talk about fruit. He talks about root. Works isn't the root of your salvation. Works is the fruit of your salvation. Faith is the root of your salvation. Love is the root of your salvation. And often people see commandments as negative things. They see that God, the idea that you would command us to do things, that kind of restricts our freedom. And many people in certainly the Western world don't like anyone telling them to do what they're doing or anyone to tell them, you know, you can't tell me, you can't tell. So they don't like the idea of commands. There was a great quote by a lady, a Henrietta Mears, who's a Bible teacher, and she said this, as a bird is free in the air, you place the bird in water and it's lost its liberty. As a fish is free in the water, but leave him on the sands and it perishes because he's out of his realm. The Christian is free when he does the will of God and is obedient to God's commands. It is a natural realm for God's child as water is for fish and as air is for birds. See, everyone longs for freedom, but they end up in bondage as they're trying to pursue freedom outside of God. Whereas if you just live in the atmosphere of obedience that God called you to live in, actually, that's when you're living free. So commands aren't negative. But look what Jesus says here. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. What's he saying? First of all, I think he's saying your actions reveal your heart. You know, if, if it's a cold day and you're looking outside and there's a guy with a hat and gloves on and a scarf. Why is it cold? Is it cold? Is it, is it cold because he's put the hat and gloves and scarf on? No. He put the hat, gloves and scarf on because it's cold. Him putting those things on didn't make it cold. It was cold, therefore he put the hat, gloves and scarf on. And it's the same with what Jesus is saying. It's, it's not that your behavior changes your heart. It's that your heart is revealed in your behavior. You know the weather is a certain way because of someone's behavior, not the other way around. Your heart will result in behavior. Your behavior reveals your heart. That's what happens. And you have some people, I hear them say, you know what, I believe in God. I believe he's there. I'm just going to do my own thing for a while. Well, you say you believe in God, but you're behavior is revealing that there's something else going on in your heart or a young person saying you know what I know Jesus loves me I know following him is the right thing but I know if if I'm a Christian then none of the boys will show any interest in me so I just I've just got to make a choice and actually what the person is saying is they don't have a conviction of God's love they have an opinion of God's love and that love hasn't transformed their life and they haven't become secure in that love to the point where they don't care what people think about them, but they're living for people's approval rather than living from God's approval. You see, are you at the point where you're at the mercy of things and people and situations and addictions? Could God ask you to give up your career tomorrow and you would do it? Could God get you to, God, if God said, give up that certain amount of money or go and speak to those people? Or give that career up and pursue a different path? Could you do it? Or are you so anchored in this world, in this life, that you couldn't be transformed by a command and obedience to God? Your behavior reveals your heart. Where's your heart at? Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. He's saying, actions come from gratitude. You know, you love, therefore you obey. Your actions come from a deep gratitude you have in your heart towards God. Paul the Apostle in Romans 12 verse 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brothers or brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. The word reasonable service, it comes from a Greek word, logiken which we get the word logical. When Paul's saying, in the light of what God has done, in the view of God's mercy, in the view of the price that he paid at that pawn shop, it wasn't, you weren't worth that, but in God's mind, you were worth that. He paid a price, and in view of that, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That is your reasonable, that's logical. That is the most sane thing you could do. The most sane thing you could do is to live a passionate life for God 
in the light of what God gave for you. It is the most logical, rational decision you could make following Jesus and being passionate about that pursuit of God. It's logical. You see, when you're buying a house, you might see the value of that house and you might go and pay way over the odds to get that house. But for you, that's reasonable because you really want it. When I look at what God paid for me, I don't think that's reasonable. But I think it's very reasonable in the light of what God gave for me, for me to give my everything to him. It's the least I could do. It's it's the kind of like little drop in the ocean compared to the ocean of God's love. It's reasonable to lay your life down and pursue God. You see, if God didn't pay a price for you, if God didn't do what he did 2,000 years ago when Jesus came into this world, then you might well question God's love for you. You might question, well, has God really loved me? But God did die for you. God did pay the ultimate price for you. And equally, if, if God didn't pay the price for you, you could question God's love for you. Equally, if you're not living a sacrificial love, a sacrificial life, then the question is, do you really love him? You see, your love is revealed in your actions. You claim to love him, yet your life is unchanged. That's not consistent. You see, Paul writes and says, you are to be, in the view of God's mercy, you are to live as living sacrifices. Living sacrifices doesn't just mean it's a one-off sacrifice. It means it's a daily living sacrifice. It's living to give. It's living to be loving. It's living unselfish. It's living sacrificially. It's living like that Monday morning as well as on Sunday. It's living like that when you're going through the bad times as well as when you're in the good times. It's in response to God's mercy, no matter how you're feeling, it's living an unselfish life towards other people and towards God. Now, this world won't tell you that. This world tells you that the most important thing is your own happiness and pursue your own happiness, then you'll be happy. And yet, the world is miserable because pursuing your own happiness never brings happiness. Living a life sacrificially for God brings great joy and deepest contentment. Love is self-sacrificing, but you'll not hear that in the world today. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. He's saying, love goes further. Thomas Kempis, the ancient writer, said this, whoever loves much, does much. Amy Carmichael, born in Ireland, she grew up and spent 50 years, her last 50 years, living in India, working with hundreds of kids who she rescued from forced prostitution. She, just, she, she was motivated by the example of Jesus and by the love of God and by paying a price. And she said, Amy Carmichael said, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. The apostle Paul, you know how he, how he got going. He, he used to be against Christians. He used to hate Christians. He was a re- narrow-minded religious man looking to undermine the church. And one day God appeared to him and he turned, over, he turned his life over to God and he realized that Jesus was Lord. And then he spent the rest of his life telling people. And he writes to the church at Corinth. And I, and I love this. In the church at Corinth, when he was there in the book of Acts, you find that he was there preaching about Jesus. And he was, at one point, he was dragged before the city magistrates. And they were, they were wanting to kill him. I mean, Paul was willing to pay any price just to get this message about God's love out. And then Paul, so this is in people's minds in Corinth. They've become a church now and they're, and they're learning from Paul. And Paul writes to them years later. And they remember this is the guy who is willing to even risk his own life to tell us about Jesus. And Paul writes to them and talks about in 2 Corinthians 11. Let me just read this to you. He describes some of his struggles in ministry. He says, I've been in prison more frequently. I've been flogged more severely. I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I've received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, dangers from bandits, danger from my fellow Jews, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the country, danger at sea, danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and I've gone without sleep and I've known hunger and thirst and I've often gone without foods. I've been cold and naked beside everything else. 
I face the daily pressure of my concern for the churches. Paul's saying, that's my life. And do you know what he says in the middle of Corinthians? He, he says, why, Paul, Paul, why would you do that? Why would you live so radically? Why would you be constantly paying a price? Why would you come to our city and almost get yourself killed and arrested? And Paul gives the answer, 2 Corinthians 5, 14. Christ's love compels us. You see, he loves you, you love him, you're obedient, you live a life of sacrifice. And so yesterday we had a beach barbecue for about 200 of you folks who serve week in, week out in the catering team and the stewarding with the multimedia guys and the behind the scenes with the kids ministry and the youth ministry on the bands, with the homeless through the week, with food banks, with a whole lot of things we do as a church. And why do you give your time? Why do you give your time for free? You've all got day jobs. You've all got busy lives. Why would you give over and above that? And the answer is, Christ's love compels you. You're so gripped. Your obedience comes from a realization of, wow, you valued me. The least I could do is worship him back by doing something. And why do we launch new locations? Why are we doing 2020 vision and with a vision to launch new locations? We could just, you know, we get to a point of being a big church why, why rattle it up? Why, why make it harder for ourselves? Why give ourselves some dilemmas? Hey, we're not here just to exist. We're not just here just to take over. We exist because our generation needs God-glorifying, disciple-making local churches. We are here because God fully intends to impact a city and region through us. Alongside the other churches in the city, we have a huge role to play. And therefore, it's not a time to be sleeping. It's a time to be saying, God, you paid the ultimate price for me. Least I could do is... Give some, give my time, give my money, get involved, share the message, tell the city. Least I could do. And I love it. And that's who we are as a church. And that's why we do what we do. Why is it the small group leaders week in, week out, care for people in small groups, prepare Bible studies, go visit, visit them when they're sick, care for people through the hard times and through the good times? Because Christ's love compels us. We're so gripped with this message of God's love. Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. Let's hear it for Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you so much for every person in this room. And, and thank you, God, everyone is valuable to you. I pray, God, that a sense of that value would come into their souls just now, that they would know it, not just in their heads, but in the depths of their being. They would know that they're loved. They would know that they're loved and they're valued by God. Come mighty Holy Spirit in your loving power. Come just now, move among us, I pray. God, for those who are away from you, I pray draw them really close just now. For those who are carrying needs, I pray God be the God who answers their needs. But I pray for each one of us, we will understand by the power of God, the amazing love of God. Thank you so much, God. Just take a moment in his presence to respond to him. Each one of you in your own words, just thank him for his love. Open your heart to his love. Thank him for Jesus, for his death and resurrection. Thank him for that the, the, there was a value attributed to you, greater than any value you would dare attribute to yourself. while people are praying I'm going to give you an opportunity today if you're here and you don't yet know God you're hearing about God's love for you but you've never fully engaged with that well today why not make the greatest decision of your life and open your heart to God a God who loves you a God who's paid the ultimate price for you and who's here right now to save you if that's you today and you don't know God yet, I would love to help you connect with God just now. And this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And I invite you, just under your breath, to pray this prayer back to God. I'll pray a line. You repeat it after me, one line at a time. And let this be your heart's cry to God. And as you pray this, God will hear your prayer. If you don't know God, pray this prayer with me. Pray, dear Lord God, thank you for your love for me. Jesus, thank you for dying and rising again. I realized that I needed 
that price to be paid for me. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for loving me so much that you sacrificed for me. I believed, I believe I am loved by God. And today, I receive that love. Thank you, Jesus, you're alive, risen from the dead. And I commit myself to you today. I choose to be a follower of yours. Be Lord of my life from now on. I think a few of you prayed that prayer. And as you've prayed that prayer, God heard you. I just want to pray for you. If you're here today and you're one of those people who just prayed that prayer and in this moment you made a choice to trust Jesus to be your saviour, then can you just identify yourself to me just while everyone else is praying just by raising your hands nice and clear. Just lift your hand up and say, that's me. Thank you. Anyone else? That's the decision you're making today. Raise your hand nice and clear so I can see it. This is the most important decision of your life. In fact, this is the most important decision of eternity. This is the moment where eternally your destination has changed when you trust Jesus as your Savior. If that's you today, and today you're saying, Peter, I want to know God, that's me. Just raise your hand nice and clear. Before I pray, is there anyone else? God, thank you so much for my dear friend here today, who today in your presence has made a fantastic decision. And you've heard that prayer. As he has made a decision to follow Jesus, thank you that you have accepted him. Thank you, God, as he's made a decision to follow Jesus. This is the beginning in God of a new life. Bless him strengthen him and empower him in Jesus name Amen